Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. I guess I'll start by uh, just acknowledging, um, you know, those people that try to like pull Christmas out a little bit too long uh, and they just can't quite let go of the holiday season. Uh, You know, here we are with the Advent candles going and singing Christmas carols and and it's already January. Right. But, you know, we're just holding on to it a little bit here and and partly because we had to cancel our. December 23rd service, I was, you know, Friday, the the ice is there, and I'm just all day long really hoping that it'll warm up and melt, right? And so uh, it, people are texting me and calling, what are we, are we doing it or are we not doing it? Well, just wait, I, I'm going to make the final decision at 4 o'clock, I'm the final decision at 4 o'clock, and I'm calling people, and what do you think, what do you think, and, and nobody thinks the same thing, of course, um, and so... <laughs> You know, we end up canceling, and I still have mixed feelings about it because it's like, well, maybe it's not that bad. I'd been out earlier in the day on the ice, and, you know, I had to run to Target and Safeway. And, and you know, people are out and doing stuff. And, and I always have this, this self-righteous attitude that creeps up when, when people are wanting to cancel for weather. And I'm like, people are still going to Safeway. I don't, you know, what do you love more, Jesus or Twinkies? And... um so I've got a little bit of that going, uh, but uh, we order, we cancel the service, and, and we order some takeout food from the Golden Palace for our family to comfort ourselves with some deep-fried goodness in the event of this tragic loss of a service. And, and so I came down to pick up the food, and then I thought, well, I'll swing by the Roxy and turn the heat off, because no sense wasting money heating the building when no one's coming in here. And, and, uh, and I'm driving through town, and you guys, it was so slick. It was so bad. There was a car halfway through the intersection on 14th and Hemlock, you know, blocked down that way. And I and he's just he's trying to stop and looking at me as I'm coming down 14th and he's just sliding right into the middle of the intersection. I slowly went by him. Everyone's moving in slow motion, but everyone's a little bit out of control. And then I get out to come in and the sidewalks were so bad. It was so bad. So it was it was I stand by the decision. It was the right call in the end. Um, and we'll just drag Christmas out a little bit longer today, and that's that's just fine. Uh, one of the things that we did over the Christmas break was go up to the mountain and go sledding. Anyone do that? Anyone else go sledding over Christmas break? We're the only one. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's great. So uh, we got a little bit of decent snow. We headed up there. We had some fun, you know, sliding down the hill. Uh, we bought some defective sleds, unfortunately. Uh, we got these new sleds, and it's always exciting with a new sled. You feel like, man, that plastic is all smooth and glossy, and, and it's just going to shoot down the hill. And uh, there's something wrong with those sleds. They did not shoot down the hill at all. It was a little embarrassing. Um, but anyhow, we're driving home. We have a good time. We're driving home after hanging out up there. And and it's like 530, and we're driving, and it's so dark. And somebody makes the comment in the car, well, I can't believe it's only 5.30. It feels like 8 o'clock. And that comment's been made more than once over the last month and a half or so. You know when the days get really short and you 
go outside at 6 p.m. and you're like, I swear, it's bedtime. What is going on here? Um, you know, th- there's actually something to that. We're supposed to go to sleep when it gets dark. You know, prior to the advent of the, of the clock and, and the prevalence of all this artificial light in our world, people would generally go to sleep earlier in the winter when the days got shorter and, and they would stay up later in the summer when the days were longer. But, but our, our body's supposed to naturally follow the light patterns of the world around us. And so when it's 6 p.m. in January or December and you're saying to yourself, man, it feels like bedtime, that's because your body's naturally wanting to shut down and go to sleep because it got dark out. Um, and, and something has happened particularly more recently as we have all this blue light from screens. Uh, people are beginning to develop more and more sleep disorders. And scientists who are trying to figure this out uh, have determined that blue light from your phone screens m- mimics the dawn light, the light in the early part of the day. And so your body is getting confused because it's being flooded with dawn light. And it's instead of producing the sleep hormones that say it's time to go to bed, it, it shuts that stuff off and it says you should be awake. And so especially people who spend time on their screens before going to bed uh, develop or are more likely to have uh, sleep disorders. Um, this artificial light is a game changer in, in the biology of what's happening inside your body. But I thought it was a a really great metaphor for this idea of just how impactful light is in our world. Um, Light is an incredibly impactful thing, not just in our waking and sleeping cycles, but you imagine, you know, the world without the light of the sun or going through a day in the dark. And and, and, uh, we rely on it so much, and it really makes a difference. It has a profound impact on our lives. I think because light is such a significant thing in our world, it's oftentimes used as a metaphor for God. We talk about God and we try to explain what he's like or, or what he's doing. And light is a principle or an idea that we'll lean into quite often. I, don't, I've lo- I love the candles through Advent. I love lighting the candles. We were doing uh, midday prayers through Advent season down here at the Roxy. So we had all the lights off and created an atmosphere of prayer. And you light a candle in a dark room and there's just something really special about that. Um, since the beginning of creation, humanity became aware of God. We've been grasping for different metaphors to help us describe this, you know, invisible and, and indescribable being. We were trying to bring a, an ability for our finite minds to comprehend an infinite God. And so we'll lean into these metaphors quite often. And, and I think for many of us, this idea of light is something that we lean into. When we see light or when we see a candle, it, it reminds us of God's presence. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. We, oh, yeah, he's the light of the world. And I think metaphors can be really helpful in understanding God. But we use metaphors to describe reality or to give an idea of what reality is, is like. Uh, we don't necessarily use metaphors to present reality as it actually is. A, a common metaphor that we use in our, in our society to talk about a, a complex and divisive issue is to talk about the elephant in the room. 
And if we were to bring up the elephant in the room, no one over the age of seven would be looking around for an elephant in the room. We all know, oh, that's just a metaphor. It's not real life. It's just talking about how there's this big, significant issue. Consequently, I think sometimes when we are using metaphors to talk about God, we don't take it as seriously as we would if we thought it actually presented reality. Uh, if I said to you, hey, uh, would you mind giving so-and-so a call this week? They've just got a lot of weight on their shoulders. You might be like, oh, yeah, James asked me to give him a call. I'll totally do that. And then you might forget to give him a call. I mean, that's just kind of what we do. Anyone ever forget to call someone that you intended to call because you knew they had a lot of weight on their shoulders and they're going through a difficult time? Yeah. But if somebody came, you know, walking through the back door, you know, groaning under the weight of a grand piano, I mean, I'm sure many of you would get out of your chairs right away and, and you would respond because the reality is that person has an unbearable weight on their shoulders. Um, this is... This is what metaphors can do for us. They, they're good at helping us maybe understand what something is like, but they're not necessarily good at provoking us to actual action, actual change in our lives. The decisions that we make are usually the responses that we have to the reality of what's around us, not just the descriptions or the, or the word pictures of that reality, but what is actually going on. So I was considering how the scriptures talk about light and how they talk about God, I really want to, my hope today is to convince you that light is more than a metaphor when it comes to talking about God. God and light are, when we, when we use the word light to talk about God, we are describing a reality. We're describing something that, that truly is. We're presenting something as it is. Now, because it's God and because he's infinite, it might be a little bit beyond how our minds can totally comprehend it, but I, I really believe that that light is literally an, an, an element of God's presence that is incredibly important. If we look at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, the portrait that's painted of our universe, of the cosmos, is God's Spirit inhabiting this dark and, and turbulent and chaotic and empty world. Spirit hovering over these waters that represent chaos. And in that scene of God's spirit present in this dark, turbulent, chaotic world, we have the first words that are spoken in creation, where God says, let there be light. And suddenly there's light. And the light is proclaimed as good. And the light, God separates the light from the darkness. He creates a daytime and a nighttime. And then God begins to use the daytime, this time that's inhabited with light. He uses the light to do his work of creation. The time that's filled with light becomes the time that his work of ordering and setting the world together and creating things happens. And in a week we go from these chaotic seas of emptiness to a, a world that is a habitable space in, in earth and in habitable spaces in, in the heavens, and everything is teeming with life, and God's creation is dwelling there with him in the light of his presence. Since the creation, in the story of the scriptures, light and God are tied together. In the Exodus, there's these plagues that God is bringing on the land of Egypt in order to uh, motivate the Pharaoh to let his people go. And one of these plagues was a plague of darkness. 
darkness, where this terrible darkness fell over the land. And yet, in that story in the Exodus, God is the light in the homes of the Israelites during that plague of darkness. Their homes were lighted up with the presence of God. They were the only places in Egypt that had light. In the wilderness, we see uh, the light going before the people of Israel in the, in the nighttime, guiding them, a pillar of fire guiding them. In the Israelites' tabernacle that they set up, a tent, a meeting place for God, there was a lampstand that Moses was commanded to make and to put into the holy place in the tabernacle that was lit every day to symbolize that God's light is illuminating the center of our camp. When the prophet Isaiah speaks about uh, the Messiah's coming, he says the, the verse that we always celebrate at Advent time. He says, the people that are walking in darkness have seen a great light. What's it going to be like when the Messiah comes? What's it going to be like when God's Savior comes to the earth? He says, the people in darkness have seen a great light, and those who are living in the land of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. When the Apostle John takes his stab at writing about the life of Jesus Christ, he starts with this poem in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. When John wants to talk about Jesus and His significant place in history, he intentionally points toward the creation story. We just talked about it in the creation story. What were the first words spoken by God? Let there be light. And he points us to the word of God, this Greek word called logos. And, um, and the Old Testament has already given us an image of that Greek word. What is the word of God? The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. John continues and he says, in this word of God was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One of my Christmas gifts this year was a little headlamp. I finally reached that point. I'm a dad with a headlamp now. And... <laughs> I would complain about it, but, you know, when I'm in the attic trying to do something or another dark space trying to do something, and I'm trying to hold the light or balance the flashlight in the right spot so it's facing the right place, I, I, this is an indication of my failures as a dad because in my childhood, when my father was in dark places needing a light, I was always right behind him holding the light, admittedly inadequately, but holding the light. No, shine it there. No, there trying. Uh, anyhow, um, I prefer to work alone, so I have a headlamp now. <laughs> it's great. Can't have any of those kids slowing me down. Um, <laughs> light, it, it changed. You can't work without it. It is necessary for life. You can't see what you're doing. You can't see where you're going. You can't do anything without a little bit of light. And when John's talking about the word of God made flesh come into our world, he says that word is life. And that life is the light of all mankind. He's talking about a change in human history where humanity 
were, was stumbling around in the dark, unable to do what they needed to do, unable to do right, unable to find their way back to God. And he says, this being, this divine being came to earth. God was born as a baby, and that life became the light of all mankind. Humanity can now see. We're no longer destined to stumble around in the darkness, but we can actually see where we're going. He says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. And that's not a bad translation, but there's so much more in that word than that. Some other translations might say the darkness couldn't understand it or couldn't comprehend it. The idea being that this light is so far beyond anything that the darkness is capable of. The darkness can't contend it. It can't, can't contend with it. It can't overwhelm it. It, can't con- it, it, there's, it is not even a contest. The light overwhelmingly is greater than the darkness. One of the things I was struck by um, when we were doing the midday prayers here during the Advent season is, you know, I had, a, I had lights turned off, and we light the different Advent candles that represent the, the virtues of Christ. And, and then we had all these little fake candles on the, um, on the tables that we had lit up as well. I see half of them are on. <laughs> Maybe the batteries have gone low. Um, but I was, I was really moved by the fact that the real candles cast so much more light than the fake candles. And I, I think in some ways, that's, that's starting to understand the difference between Jesus Christ, who is the real light, and all of these other lights that we have. I forget what the verse is, but, but uh, one of the apostles is writing to one of the churches, and he, and he says, he's talking about this God, and he says, the God who dwells in unapproachable light. That's how he describes God. That's how he describes the dwelling place of God. This remarkably bright, unapproachable light. I think of the, the greatest light that we ever see, you know, probably the sun or, or maybe a welding spark if, if you're familiar with those. But these bright, bright, bright lights. And I just imagine there's a God who created all of that. There's a true light out there that these other lights would just pale in comparison to. And what is it like if that light is the thing that's illuminating the space that you're trying to work in? How different is it? It's a lot different than a flashlight with a dying battery. And the light of Christ shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't even contend with it. It's completely overwhelmed. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Uh, when, uh, you know, when for this moment in time, it seemed like the light had been overcome by the darkness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and a detail they add in there is, is that at about midday, everything went dark. And it was dark for about three hours. Now, Luke actually says the sun stopped shining. And I think it it really bears mentioning because if you've ever experienced something like that, I, a lot of people think that probably what happened was an eclipse, right? An eclipse happened. And 
And we've been fortunate enough. I, I mean, I remember an eclipse happening when I was in elementary school, and there was one that happened a, a couple of years ago. Like, it really is moving and impactful when you go outside at midday, and it doesn't look like midday. There's something a little eerie about it. There's something a little unnerving. It's very different. Like, this is a totally different experience than my normal day-to-day. It gets your attention when the sun, by which we usually see everything, is somehow disrupted. And I imagine what it was like in this moment when Jesus is dying on the cross and the, the sky goes dark and, and suddenly people's attention is drawn to what is going on. There's something significant here. And this is, the, this is just more of an impact, or, uh, more of a description of the impact that light has on us. And I really think that we are meant to look at Jesus in this way. He's our light. We're supposed to notice when that light isn't shining. We're supposed to be aware of those moments when we're looking into a space in our life or, you know, in your work or whatever it is that you're doing. And you're like, man, the light of God isn't here. It feels like we're in an eclipse or something. Something's not right. He's meant to be the lamp that lights our path. He's meant to be the the guiding light. And I I think in a very literal and a very personal way, that's how his presence is meant to be in our lives. He's supposed to be the light of your world. When the Apostle John gives us a glimpse of the restoration of all things, he has this vision from God. Uh, It's recorded in the book of Revelation. And it's a vision of, of what it looks like when God comes and intervenes one final time in human history and sets everything right. And in Revelation chapter 1, he's describing this city, this place where God is going to dwell with his people. And he says of the city, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb, which is Jesus, are its temple. It's Revelation 21 verse 22. Verse 23 says, the city does not need the sun, or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon. This is not just a figurative metaphor. This is a literal change in the way humanity is living because the present God becomes their light for everything. I really think that What God desires is to have that kind of nearness, that kind of relationship with his people, that their lives would be illuminated by his presence, by his light. How different would it look for humanity to to try to decide their path forward, to try to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, when they're doing that through the light of God's presence, illuminating the path for them, rather than doing that through reaching out and and trying to find empowerment from the forbidden fruit, right? This is rewriting the whole story of humanity, how it was meant to be. How different does the world look when it's illuminated by God's presence? When we talk about the reality of light, I think one thing that is really, really hard is to describe light to people who are living in darkness, I remember reading a story in elementary school, a, a book that was a, uh, the story of, um, of Helen Keller's life, right? And she had this girl who, who is, is blind and deaf, 
And I remember just being amazed by the fact that this woman figured out life through sign language being done into her hand. She couldn't see or hear anything. I thought, how does she even have an understanding? It's a miracle, right? And it, and it probably is a miracle, a story of God's grace that, that she was blessed the way she was to understand the world. But how do you explain, you know, a flame to someone who's never seen it, to someone who has no light? How do you explain the world, the colors of the world, to people who are living in darkness? The reality of light is it's really hard to describe to people who are living in darkness, and it's really hard to describe if you haven't seen it yourself. In 2023, I, I really think that the Lord's Spirit is inviting us to see this year, to have our eyes opened by Him, to have our world illuminated by His light so that we can really see. I think He's wanting us to embrace a greater nearness to Him and, and through that nearness to allow His presence to, uh, to illuminate our world, to allow His nature to define our reality, to allow his light to disrupt the sleepy spiritual nature of ourselves, to shake us out of slumber mode, right? I mean, if, if a blue screen can w- keep you awake physically, what does the light of God do when it shines on your heart in a, in a spiritual way, in a literal spiritual way? John continues talking about this city whose lamp is the Lamb of God, and he says of the city that the nations will walk by its light. This struck me because uh, it's evidence of that divine human partnership that God's always working for in Scripture. And so God's illuminating this city of His people. And His desire is that illuminated people would become a light. By its light, the nations of the world would be able to walk. And the kings of the earth would bring their splendor into it. It reminds me that my walking in the light isn't just about me going where God wants me to go or seeing what God wants me to see. But it's about my very life becoming a vessel of his light. It's about the city of God's people being illuminated by the lamb and becoming the light for the nations. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he also said to his followers, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. So no one's going to take a lamp and cover it with a bowl. No, they're going to set it up on the lampstand so it gives light to the whole house. You are the light of the world. I think when the church is illuminated by the Lamb of God, we really become this beacon of light in the world. People look and see us, and we're shining, and they see God's presence, and they see His grace, and they see His faithfulness, and they're moved by that. I think the unfortunate thing is so often our lives are illuminated by things other than God's presence. Our lives are illuminated by our humanity. They're like the fake candles that we just carry and and shine around, the dying batteries in a flashlight. I had a conversation with uh, a believer this week. This is someone I just met on the phone. Um, And... uh, and we're talking on the phone and we're talking about something unrelated to this, but we kind of finished that conversation and she's telling me that she used to be on staff at a church and she had uh, kind of retired, moved on to a different career right prior to COVID. And so she wants to know how, how is it? How do you manage through 
COVID and, and how do you keep a church together? Because she had seen throughout COVID and been brokenhearted throughout COVID by, um, by all of the, the things that went on in the church that were going on in the world around us. And I think for her as a Christian and as a, a former staff member of a church, I think she'd gone into COVID with an expectation that the church would be way different, would shine much brighter. And yet that's not what she saw. She talked for quite a while about the disappointing things that shined out in her church and other congregations that she observed over the last few years. Talked about political drama, talked about personal convictions, talked about quarrels and persecution of the church by the church in the name of fierce allegiances to all sorts of things other than the light of Christ. I really think that the Lord is calling people to shine a different kind of light in 2023. I really think that he's calling us to walk and to live in his light so that his light can shine through us to the world around us. The world really doesn't need to see more of this congregation's or that congregation's branding or political personality or, you know, their catchphrases or whatever their strategy is for getting people in. What the world needs to see is the people of God lit on fire and lighted up by the light of God. The people that are walking in darkness need to see a great light. And there's no greater light than Jesus.